Welcome to the Podcrastinators, bringing you a mixture of comedy, social and political commentary from New Zealand and around the globe. In other words, the show that's meant to make sense of everything, but quite often doesn't. Hello, I'm Darren Lees, a globally experienced businessman, politically to the right, stand-up comedian, comedy writer and of course, podcast presenter. And I'm Matt Danaher, I'm an amateur writer, traveller, podcaster and Instagram influencer and professional union organiser and socialist who likes to be optimistic about a future. So welcome to the Podcrastinators episode 17. As part of our ongoing lead into the election, tonight we are super privileged to be joined by Michael McCook, Act Party candidate for the East Coast Bay's electorate. Good evening, Michael, and thank you for joining us. Kia Good evening. Yeah, it's welcome. a pleasure to be here. No, we appreciate you making time, especially just so close to the election as well. Yep. So, um, just to start off with, Michael, um, if you'd be good enough to tell us a bit about yourself, what you do, how you got into politics, and why did you choose ACT of all the parties? Yeah, okay. Um, this is probably going to com- – comedy club viewers is probably going to find – they're going to find this really interesting. Uh, my <laughs> background is I'm, I'm actually a tax consultant, so I specialise in – uh, tax and, and working out how to uh, minimise tax. It. How to avoid it, is that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, already getting phone calls on the 39 cent in the dollar um, <laughs> proposal. So, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, in the right, we're in the right We're in the right. area. <laughs> it's good for business uh, either way. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm basically a managing partner of an accounting firm. Uh, I got involved in the ACT Party about a month ago, um, if you exclude lockdown. Um, it is a month ago. Wow. Um, and what happened was I wrote some pieces on uh, how to help small business during COVID and what could be done to really help business stay in business and, and survive. And uh, next thing I knew, I was involved with the Act policy on small business and business. And then from there, um, they said, well, what about standing as a candidate? So that's what I did. And my reasons for doing that, Fairly simple, actually. I got um, a 21-year-old and a 23-year-old, and I'm very concerned about how they're going to be able to afford a house in the future. And I just think that we really, as a country, need to make some quite hard decisions and stop all the charity that we're doing. We don't have an endless stream of taxpayer funds. So that's why I got involved, and that's why I'm here. Wow. And um, with the ACT Party in particular, was it purely that you got involved in the policy and it was then sort of like natural progression into the party sort of stuff? Yeah, it was natural progression. Um, You know, I I have actually, I'm actually what you call a classic swing swing voter. In the last 15, 20 years, I have actually voted for Labor, National and the ACT Party. So, um, but I'm just finding that I think that we've lost focus on what a government is there to do. And it's not a lolly scramble. It's not a a bribery and giveaway contest every three years. It's actually about making some hard decisions. And I think we're a bit scared to make hard decisions. So I'd just like to jump in there, if I may, Darren, very quickly. That's really uh, interesting to me. So long-term listeners will know, obviously, I'm I'm very active in the Labour Party. So what has motivated you in the past to what when you voted Labour in the past, which kind of Labour Party was that and what motivated you to do so in those cases? It was actually Helen Clark. 
Auntie Helen. Mm-hmm. Auntie Helen. Um, I voted her in and I voted her out. Um, <laughs> Good man. <laughs> <laughs> I think leadership is a very um, important part of politics. And um, Alan Clark certainly became a very, very strong uh, leader in her own right, as did John Key. And the country has always done well when we've had strong leaders. And, and you know, I'm not here to criticise or critique, but I, I do think that the things like KiwiSaver and that were instrumental in advancing this country. Um, but I also think some of the reforms that uh, the national government under Key brought forward were instrumental in advancing this country, whether we like it or not. Um, I'm not convinced the same is happening under this government. We do have equality issues uh, and they do need to be addressed. Um, But it's more than just lip service. And I think we need to get away from just saying nice things and actually do some hard things, do some good decisions. Excellent. So you said that you're only involved in the party for a month minus lockdown. Was, Was there a previous candidate there? Or was there no candidate there in the East Coast Bays? I believe the candidate that I replaced got um, very ill. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've, I've spoken with that particular person and um, that's, that's also how I got involved. And so what's campaigning been like when you've had literally a month to do it? How, how has that been and how have you been received? Oh, it's, it's lovely. Um, it's a lot of fun. I never realised how, how nasty people are on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, I told you to at least let us be able to interview him first. I meant to wait till tomorrow, sorry. <laughs> but it, it, it's been a bit of a surprise um, how people do behave on social media. Um, I knew it was not going to be nice, but I didn't realise it was going to be as bad as some of it is, um, and it's really sad. Uh, you know, we've we've become too tribal in how we look at things, and, and things aren't red and blue. They're not yellow and green. They're not any particular colour. They're a mould of different things, and there's nothing wrong with actually liking ideas from one party or another. And people have lost track of that. They've gone, I'm this, and that's all I can see. And really, if we want to evolve the, the country and the economy, we've got to get a little bit broader in our thinking. And the other thing that's important, too, is that actually people disagreeing with each other is actually a good thing. A big bloody boring, excuse me, if yeah. um, everybody just was, this is how it is, and we're all the same. Boring. There'd be no comedians. Well, that's right. And I mean, you cut to the heart of thank you for that. We might take that little clip and do a little advert saying about this podcast being endorsed by Michael McCook, Act Party Candidate, because this the whole one of the reasons behind this podcast is to say that people can disagree and, mm. you know, have a, have an honest and open discussion about a range of yeah. issues. Yeah, look, disagreeing is good. I couldn't do anything worse than if my wife agreed with me all the time. <laughs> you think that some of us going on? <laughs> <laughs> but I said this a couple of I don't know whether it was on the last podcast or the one before but I said I actually think this could potentially be one of the nastiest elections that's probably been in New Zealand for a long time 
yeah, I'll, um, be kind. Um, it's a great slogan. Yeah, it's um, it's something that's quite interesting to me. It's, it's, it feels quite disappointing this time, to be honest, because mm. I only came to New Zealand about four years ago and kind of got involved in politics straight away, um, and had been in, had been in back home in the UK. And uh, one of the things I liked about it here was the fact that actually it was that it's a smaller country. You can know people really easily. You know, I went to a uh, a festival outside um, in a park. I went to the Pacific, the Pacifica Festival in Western Springs, and I was wearing a kind of a living wage T-shirt, and I was out there leafleting for the living wage movement. And um, I just was walking along, and bumped into Bill English while he was prime minister. He was prime minister at the time. Bumped into him. He had like one security guard who was like stood well back. Mm. Um, there was myself and a friend. We were both there in our, in our gear and. In the UK, like his minders would have come rushing forward and protected him and assumed that we were going to have a go at him. And in mm. fact, we probably would have. But here it was like, oh, yeah, hi, how are you doing? Mm. And carried on. And it just felt like a much sort of nicer, realer, kind of friendlier atmosphere. And, yeah, it feels like we're in danger of losing that right now. Yeah, I, th- I think we get we get a little a little fear on here every three years. But one of the things that's really interesting about New Zealand um, I think is that in New Zealand, you never know who's got money. And you can be standing next to some guy in the pub talking about rugby or whatever it may be, and that guy could be a multi, many times millionaire and you wouldn't know. And that's actually what I really like about New Zealand. It is, it is quite egalitarian, and, and that's good. Uh, the UK is a little bit different. Um, you know, yes. I always, always thought that I was going to end up marrying a Sloan Ranger or something like that in London, and you know, <laughs> it didn't happen like that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> uh, it's because you're a colonial. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, I had, had the wrong accent. It was, it was funny because I went there and they called me an Aussie most of the time, and then when I got back here, they called me a pom. So <laughs> <laughs> two insults for the price of one. There. Yeah, it was. It was cheap and easy. <laughs> so. In, if you were to sort of in in one minute describe what the ACT Party stands for, how how would you describe to people listening? I think the big thing that ACT stands for is that they want less regulation, and I think that's the big thing. In New Zealand in 1984, the country was on the verge of bankruptcy because we had too much regulation. Uh, we had Carlos days. We had the oil shock. We had Great Britain joining the EU whole raft of things. So, and we're starting to drift back into this thing where we, we, we legislate for everything. If we don't like something, we legislate out of it. And ACT sort of recognises that there's unintended consequences on everything that you do. The other reason that, that and I, I'm after the party vote for ACT, is that the party is about individuals taking responsibility for their life and accepting that the government has a role to play in people's lives, but actually people have more of a role to play in their own lives. And I think that's the big thing that ACT actually stands for, is allowing people to be responsible for their own success and, to a degree, their own failure. Um, You learn more from your failures than you do uh, from your successes. I've learned that in business. So I think that's the the big thing. And I think there's too many people that are looking at the government to solve their problems. The reality is the best person to solve your problems is you. So that's in a nutshell. 
and sort of taking accountability of those, but then having a system that actually allows you to without pretty much restricting you from it? Yeah. Look, it's, it's like the 39th cent threshold that they want to bring in at $180,000. Um, Labor wants to bring in. It's, it's a little bit of a joke because the most of the politicians own 100, earn 175000 for a start, so it's about not upsetting them. Um, and when you bring that in, um, all, all you really do is, is give tax accountants more work because we work out ways to get around it, and there's lots of ways to get around it. They won't catch a fraction of the revenue that they think they're going to catch. And when you when you do get into tax and, and people say, and Matt, you talked about living wage, and yeah, I, I, I hear you, and, and tax cuts for the poor, and why aren't we giving the poor more? Someone earning $50,000 a year paying PAYE pays about $8,240 in tax. This is great, exciting stuff for a comedy club, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about it. I've got a question about tax after this. Carry on. Yeah. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, you know, a person earning one hundred and fifty thousand pays uh, forty thousand dollars in tax. The person who's on fifty grand, if they've got a child, they get seven thousand dollars worth of working for family tax credits. That's one of the reasons that tax cuts for for very low income sort of has no impact because it's it's already virtually nothing. Whether you like that or not, that's how it is. I think one of the things that we've actually got to do is. We've got to encourage more, like the, the, the minimum wage is, I think, $18.90. And for a 40-hour week, that works out at about 39 grand, I think. It is, yeah. Yep. Um, we need to get more people into more higher-paid jobs. But you're not going to do that by just pushing up the minimum wage. Um, all you're going to do is push more people out of jobs. And that would be my big concern. Certainly, um, you know, no one wants to see kids hungry. No one wants to see uh, poverty. Um, and really, the reality is the only way to solve poverty in the longer term is through education. Um, and I think that's the paramount thing. And the upskilling of people. And that starts at school. And I don't know how and I, I don't understand why um, we are failing our kids, our youth, and it concerns me greatly. Yeah, yeah I must admit, no one seems to have got a handle on the education system so far. No. Yeah. Um, there does need to be serious transformation of it, but what the answer is, I don't personally know. I suspect it's probably not yours, but <laughs> that's my personal view. I wonder if it's anything to do with taking charter schools, disbanding them, and then making them run and... I'm back, coming back to taxation for a moment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I was quite happy to talk about charter schools. We are, we are did you not want to answer that question, Matt? No? <laughs> I, I've not been here long enough to know the answer to that. To that <laughs> so this is interesting. So I've always, and this will be boring for Darren now because I've banged on about it every single other podcast we've done the last few months, but mm. GST is something that um, concerns me and the way it's applied here in particular. Mm. And you'll know yourself being a tax lawyer and having lived in the UK that the UK has got VAT, which is very similar. But in the UK, VAT, first of all, I mean, I mean, we'll remember that it was the first, um, it was uh, Act that first brought GST in 
here, I believe, in, in New Zealand. But it was Roger yeah. Douglas and Labour, as, as well, your mates. No, you're not. Right. Right. And I've got further questions <laughs> about that, um, about, uh, Roger, about how ACT came out of Labour, basically, which is amazing, fascinating story to me. But uh, one of the things that interests me around GST is the fact that here it is charged on um, fresh fruit and vegetables, children's clothes, books and newspapers and magazines and educational materials, basically anything you buy. Yes. Whereas in, in, in some, quite a lot of other countries, it's only charged on certain products that you buy. And mm. there's a deliberate kind of approach there. So for instance, if you're a poor family here in New Zealand, mm. it genuinely can be cheaper for you to go to McDonald's than it is for you to buy decent food from a supermarket to feed your family. Now, one of the policies your party's actually put forward, the, probably the only policy I agree with for this election, is reducing GST um, to 10% for a year to help boost mm. sales for small businesses. Because that brings me on to the second point of GST. I, I see GST harming, certainly set at a high level and set universally, does seem to me to harm small business um, as much as it harms lower paid people who are trying to yeah. buy stuff. Yeah, that's that's a good question. Uh, one of the one of the things with GST is we actually have a threshold where your a business is required to be registered for GST. And it's actually set at sixty thousand dollars, and it's probably a little bit low for a person who does massages from. By massage, I mean you know, proper therapeutic massage. <laughs> you don't have to explain yourself yeah. to us. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, you know, does does therapeutic massage from their home. Um, 60 grand, you know, as soon as you trip over that, you lose 15% of your income. So I, I think some of what you're saying there, man, I get, and I think the threshold should be reviewed and increased. It needs to be done fairly annually. It's like a guy jumps in a taxi and drives a taxi. The GST that you collect off him is minimal. The income he makes off it is minimal. Um, raise the threshold. That's probably the answer to your question. Um, one of the reasons that the, the, the GST base is so broad here is very simply that um, if you didn't have it, say, on, for, for an easy example, because um, the only one I can think of, a chicken, you know, and you say, oh, there's going to be no GST on fresh chicken. Well, is KFC fresh chicken? And that's, that's the issue with it. So by having it very broad, um, you eliminate that issue. But is broccoli is broccoli the same as KFC? So I mean, is it even that you would say don't charge it on? And I'm not arguing. I. Yeah, and again, but, is, probably, but is chicken and broccoli pie? Is is that a broccoli pie or a chicken pie? Well, then yeah. that's where you start looking about maybe. You'd and, and that, but that's where tax accountants and people like that actually start having a field day. Yeah. And that that's the problem with it. But I hear what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying, and I have some empathy for what you're saying as well. Uh, but but I mean, what I, the reason I started saying it was because um, ACT have got a proposal to reduce GST mm. blanket across the across the field for a year to ten percent, and um, you know I don't think that's a bad policy actually. I, I think it's a great policy, um, but the idea is is that you've got to put people money in people's pockets, and if you want the economy to bounce back, like the recovery will be people spending. Um, the actual growth of the economy, which grows jobs, is actually investment. But so, so lowering the GST, that, that's a good thing. Um, dropping that tax rate from uh, in that 48,000 to 70,000 bracket from 30% down to 17.5, that's, 
that's actually huge. I think the median wage in New Zealand is, oh, don't quote me on this, is something like 60 grand. Yeah. Well, it's going to put quite a bit of money in, in people's back pockets. And I, I like that idea. I think that's the way to do it. You know, and everyone sits around here and says, oh, you're talking about austerity. Well, governments are notorious for wasting money. And somewhere along the line, our politicians actually need to go, okay, well, if we're going to increase tax here, we actually need to show a saving here somewhere else. What's that view? Because obviously we've had several lockdowns, multiple lockdowns, which have obviously going to put the country back from a debt perspective for generations, right? Yep. yep. What's that policy on economic, um, sort of like economic reform or economic recovery, want of a better word, sorry? Well, the first thing is, is that New Zealand's a trading nation. So it doesn't matter what we do, we've got to trade. And we've got to be on a level playing field with our, with our trading partners. Our largest trading partners are Australia. So the sooner we get that sort of trans-Tasman, trans starting to sound English now, <laughs> as soon as we start getting that trans-Tasman bubble open, that's going to be a very big thing. Uh, the next thing is actually getting um, international students back in. You know, one of the things I love about New Zealand as a country is that we have all these different, strange, weird people in the country now. Yeah, look at Darren. Yeah, well, we brought you in, Matt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but, but you, you, it makes the place really interesting and exciting. So I'm keen to see us get the students back. Um, you know, I was talking to one of the girls I employ. She's Chinese. Uh, she did four years here at university, studied full-time. She spent on average $60,000 a year getting her degree here. So, you know, that's that's quarter of a million dollars over four years. For well, one student. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's lots of everything, but it employs... So that's them. what I mean, yeah, that's yeah. one student. Imagine how many come through, and this is mm. the frustration I have with Labour at the moment is just this just fortress mentality is just mm. so harmful. Yep. Well... The interesting thing is that the, the student, international students are worth about $4.5 billion to the economy. It's a lot of money. But here's, here's the real issue with it. If they can't start university in 2021, they're going to go somewhere else and you won't get them back in 2022. That's actually the issue with the student thing. Now, can we start bringing them back in safely? That is the big question. But I think even the little uh, issues we've had at the border, it's given us a chance to refine and learn the lessons of how to run the border better. And I actually think we have an opportunity now. Like, mistakes are mistakes. And, excuse my French, shit happens. Yeah. Um, but we, as long as we're learning from it, um, that's a good thing. So... I'd be looking to get those students back in. I'd be looking to get the bubble open. Um, the America's Cup is going to be important. You know, please bring your billions down here and come and stay as long as you like in our COVID country, free country. But interesting. We've got to start somewhere. Yeah. Just, um, just on the America's Cup, because I think international students is one thing, and I think that somebody's coming in to study for, for a few years, you know, yeah. a, a two-week quarantine period or whatever. 
yeah. it's kind of absolutely, you know, it's just irrelevant, really. People will be fine yes. to do it. Yep. Um, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah. But, uh, and they can probably even self-fund. <laughs> a lot of these students, yes. they're paying $60,000 a year anyway. Yeah. You know, you can charge them for their quarantine. Great. Yeah. But in terms of things like the America's Cup, how would we, and I'm just um, like blue sky yeah. thinking here because it is interesting to me because, you know, yeah. it is going to bring in millions and millions of dollars, hopefully, yeah. if we can yeah. do it properly. Yeah. How would you see, and you may not be speaking on behalf of ACT here, I don't know what their policy is on this, but how would you see that working in terms of bringing people in? Would it like create a bubble around Auckland and the marina or would you just say, no, no, actually just relax the rules, full stop? Well, it depends. If they're coming in on the super yacht, I'd probably say do your 14 days quarantine on the super yacht. <laughs> and then would you mind if I come on board too? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah. You do your quarantine. I mean, as long as you're staying in your bubble and you're being safe and practical. I mean, the big thing for people with, with COVID is wash your hands, Yeah, If in doubt, don't go out, Yeah, Don't go and stroke, stroke some, shake some strange person's hand, you know. Um, just be a bit smart. So should they be coming in? Yeah, why not? But it can be done safely. And we've got all these hotels, so why not use them? Why do you think that the Labour Party is so reticent to do it? Is there a fear that if they blew the whole thing up, they would they don't really want to take responsibility? Because I'm being genuine here that mm. everybody else seems to be supporting this, mm. but the Labour Party or the coalition or whatever just seem not to really want to be interested to have a conversation and the minute Morrison in Australia announced, oh, we're going to let New Zealanders in free, the first thing Jacinda did was run on the TV, oh, whoa, 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 but you're going to have to uh, go into quarantine on the way back. It was almost like great news almost just poured water all over the uh, all over the candle. I can't understand. Matt, you might want to add, as, as obviously this is your side. Well, I, I would say that Labour haven't ruled out the America's Cup or international students for that matter. I've just raised oh, and it's very slow off the mark compared I mean it's 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 very easy to critique anyone when you're not in charge and of course if you if you mess something up um, you're going to be well and truly under the pump and you're in a kind of position where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't but the problem is is that we've had such a long period of time where we were covid free the South Island hasn't had COVID since the first lockdown. I think we've the pen, human nature is to overreact. And you think back to Y2K and, and even SARS and MERS and all those other viruses that are around, we overreact and the pendulum is always doing this. And I think that's I think that's the situation that Labor's got themselves into is they've, they've backed themselves into a corner and they've, they've reacted very strongly to COVID, and it's actually very hard to pull yourself back once you've put taken that position. Quick question, have you ever worked in IT? No. So Y2K, I, I, was, Y2K was not an overreaction? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. It was a, lot people, a lot of people were working behind the scenes to make sure that that was dealt with. Nothing ever happened. Nothing. But only because the IT people got in there but, and... Uh, IT is really, really, really simple. We all know it. Control, alt, delete. <laughs> turn, it, turn it off and turn, turn it, it off again. and turn it back on <laughs> 10 seconds later. 
I think um, I think you raise a really balanced uh, a really balanced critique there, to be honest. And I, I do think it's a fair point, and it's always been it's been my position, you know, even as a supporter of Labour. That I mean, I support the lockdown. I supported going going hard, and we all uh, did. You know, people might dispute the going fast bit, and and David did um, today on the on the party leaders debate, but. Um, you know, going hard and going fast, um, I supported that totally. And I, I think that you're quite right. And it was certainly something that was always in my mind, right, we're doing this. That means the government's got no choice almost but to commit to it. Otherwise, if we relax a bit further down too soon down the track mm. and then, it, you know, we have to lock down again because there's a massive outbreak or something, mm. people are going to be asking why they did it the first time. And in fact, we've kind of almost started to see the rise of that feeling with the second lockdown um so there's a real yeah it's a real damned if you do damned if you don't kind of position and you look at a, some comparable countries um you know off the top of my head sort of um in terms of english-speaking countries you look at ireland for instance which yeah all right so they're a bit closer to another country that's dealt with it really badly but the fact is ireland was a country that at first kind of tried to keep it a bit kind of open and locked down at the same time but we're kind of dealing with it in a really sensible way probably the kind of way that that your guys would advocate to some extent um and they've come in for just as much stick for the way they've handled it so it's a it's a real it's a no-win situation i think for any government i think with the benefit of hindsight which is great i think having lived through level three and level two and a half with far more cases than when level four was actually put in place it almost feels like level four was a massive overreaction to me. Yeah. You know, the thing I remember, there's, there's a couple of things I remember. I remember in London they had a university, uh, an electrician, apprentice electrician, and he was wiring up that big hospital bed, uh, hospital, the emergency hospital, with 4,000 beds. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. 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 After seeing that, I... I said goodbye to all my staff when lockdown happened. And I thought, I wonder if I'm going to see everybody again. Yeah. yeah. But again, that's that, that pendulum thing. Exactly, exactly. And, and um, you know, Darren needs to remember that he was a supporter of Level 4 when we did it. Yeah, well, I, I think would, we I would like you to find a, I'd like you to find a recording where that is. <laughs> you, you, you were. Don't try and wriggle out of that. But to be, to be fair... The government said we need to do this. And everybody went, yep, okay, we're going to do it. And they did it. And they really, really had compliance. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, an incredible level of compliance. The, the issue that we've got now is that that, that compliance is actually yes. dropping away. You know, if you look at the Spanish flu of 1918, it's very interesting in Philadelphia um, at the they had a, a parade to celebrate the end of um, the Spanish flu. About a month later, another 50,000 people died of Spanish flu. Mm. Yeah. So, hard. But, but there are better things that we could be doing. We could be like the little uh, contracts uh, QS system that we've got. It's pretty naff, really. You know, it should be Bluetooth, very simple. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump has—he um, somehow managed to survive COVID. Uh, you know, in New Zealand, it's probably oh, you've got COVID here. Take a Panadol. Call me in the morning. 
Yeah. So we need to get our PPE gear, gear right. We need to keep banging on the message about washing your hands and wearing a mask if you're not well and keeping away from people. Yeah, this is this all yes. this is interesting actually. It kind of leads me to my next question. Mm. Um, Act have got a very a policy dedicated to freedom of expression. Mm. What's also interesting at the moment, the coalition are kind of talking about hate speech and hate laws, and people are kind of going, "Is this the end of freedom of speech?" You've got the advanced New Zealand marches going on throughout cities and everything. It's a pretty, it's a pretty weird time at the moment. Probably times that have probably not been seen in New Zealand, and and you alluded to earlier, just you know, you didn't understand just how nasty people could be mm. on Facebook and everything. Mm. It seems like we are, we, we we've got some really extremes of kind of expression going on. So interested to hear your view on Act's policy of freedom of expression and um, how you feel about what other people's views on what they're doing at the moment, like Labour's view on hate speech and what's going on with the the marches and stuff. I'd be keen to get your views on that. Yeah, look, the more you, as far as I'm concerned, the, the more you legislate and the more you try to control people, the more you actually achieve the exact opposite of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, so that would be the first comment I'd make around freedom of speech. To me, I don't necessarily agree with Matt on what he says, but what he's saying is his opinion and he's entitled, totally right to have it. And out of, out of respect and actually wanting to be a better person myself, <laughs> I, I want to listen to what he's saying. Yeah? Don't worry, I'll help you become a better person, Michael. By well, I already am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> in right, I'm in the right party. This is all about converting accents. Yeah. <laughs> so what we'd be keen to talk about now, Michael, unless there's anything else on policy you want to cover, Matt, is your yep. particular chance and the ACT Party's particular mm -hmm. chances on Election Day. How do you think ACT are going to poll? Because tonight in Colmar Brunton still sat at 8%. Do you think that they could poll even better than that on the day? Um, and how do you think you, you're going to go yourself in your own constituency? Um, well, I'm, I'm there principally to, to organise the party vote for for my consistent for the electorate. place I'm standing. Electorate. <laughs> <laughs> <a> correct terminology, <laughs> electorate, Darren. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had a couple of beers with dinner, so my, my words are getting a bit under that. Um, so my, my job is to get the party vote for ACT, and, and that's what I'm focused on. Um, Erica Stanford, who is the National Party candidate for... East Coast Bays has about a 25,000 seat majority, so I'm unlikely to win the seat. Yeah. I've accepted that. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think ACT are going to fare? I think they're going to do well. I, I think what they've done with um, euthanasia and, and even the gun uh, situation has been different, and they've dared to actually stand up and say something. Um. And actually, the euthanasia thing was one of the big reasons that I, I, I accepted the um, the invite to stand for for act. Um, I watched my grandmother go through some things that that I wouldn't put my cat or my dog through. Um, and I'll, you know, this is supposed to be a, a light comedy sort of a an evening, so I'm not going to go there. But 
So I, I did a joke about the end of life bill the other day. Had a game. Did you? Was it funny? <laughs> no, no, it was maths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you know, well, the end of life, the end of life bill is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, that's to be honest. I voted already, and and uh, not for your guys, unfortunately. But um, that that vote was the hardest vote I've ever cast. Really, I do have some serious concerns about about the way it's worded, but um, mm. yeah, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say how I voted. It wasn't. A oh, yeah. What is wrong? You're like Jacinda Ardern. You're terrible. It's like. Where's I'll your say how I vote on everything else. Yeah. Like oh, too many, too many friends and family who feel too strongly on both sides. Yeah. So yeah, I bet one of Matt's one of these. Matt will be one of these guys that never inhaled either. <laughs> I, I've definitely inhaled. <laughs> oh, it's very, very personal. Um, my my father is in a wheelchair part time. He's got very bad bad arthritis in his feet. Um, so bad that it's like walking on glass. And he's been that way for about 20 years. And um, it was very upsetting when he talked about he'd had plans to end his life. Now, he's fully compass meters. Yes. Um, uh, that was a real shock. Um, and it is. It's very, very personal. I went to the doc, my doctor, um, and I actually asked my GP, I said, what do you think about euthanasia? Because to me, he's, he's, he would be the authority on it. And it really concerned me, his reply, because he said, oh, I'm against it. Oh, why? Because I thought, oh, you know, he's bound to be yeah. of the same vein as me. And he said, well, I've seen some of the kids that come in with their parents. And that concerns me. That's his reason for voting no. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, and yet I look at what my grandmother went through and I know that if she had the opportunity, she would have said yes. My father, on the other hand, isn't terminally ill. He's in a lot of pain. There's no way that he should be able to euthanize himself, even though he's thought about it and planned for it. So yeah, there you go. And Matt, I, I agree with you. It's totally personal and all you can do is respect anybody's opinion on it. And I actually admire them for having an opinion. Totally, yeah. Because mm. Act's view is, is obviously obviously Seymour's driven this mm. bill pretty much single-handedly. Oh, and it's brilliant. Gathered momentum all the way through. and um, But also interested in your view on cannabis reform. Oh, well, I think the party's view is anti, of course, isn't it? Yes. Um, well, <laughs> It's interesting. Yeah, Actor Pro, aren't they? Actor Pro, uh, yes, vote, aren't they? <laughs> Again, it's a very personal opinion. I, I'm wavering between voting yes and no, and I change my mind every five minutes. Um, some of the arguments that are pro for cannabis are a load of rubbish. Um, you know, they say the government's going to make a lot more revenue out of it. Well, I haven't met too many gang members that pay tax. You know? No, exactly. You don't have many in your client base. <laughs> no, 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 no. I certainly hope not. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is that we're supposed to be smoke-free and we're also mental health is becoming a very, very critical issue. And it's going to get more so. Correct. Um, well, cannabis doesn't help mental health in the long term. 
I've only got to look at some of my my uh, relatives in the UK to see the the the, the effects of long term uh, cannabis use. Yeah, isn't it? It's, I mean, but it's like you said earlier, right? It's one of those things that why would you bother legislating against it when it just doesn't work? Yeah, because it harm, causes harm to other people. Yeah, it does cause harm to other people. I think a lot of our, our problems in society are caused um, directly or indirectly by drugs, not just oh, poverty. Totally. Yeah, and um, I think if you want to if you want to address the issues with with um, uh, poverty and um, social disadvantage and inequality, you've got to start with drugs and stopping that virus. Yeah. Now, if any of us can come up with an idea how you do that, <laughs> I'm all ears, from what I understand, is, is cheaper than, than pot. You know? And people go and buy their drugs from a tinny house. And this is the other side of the coin. People go and buy their drugs from a tinny house. They go, well, we're actually out of pot today, but hey, look, we've got some pee at uh, you know 10 bucks off. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. And that's an argument for legalisation, right? Yeah, that's and that, that's... Um, and that's why I, I'm still like this. I, to be honest with you, like Matt, you've already said you voted and you voted affirmative. Um, I keep changing my mind on that particular issue. I'm very firm on a lot of the other ones, but this one, I, every time I think about it, I see both sides of it. I think it's a really positive thing to approach, uh, be able to approach. I was quite appreciative that there was at least one vote. First time in ages, I've not known how I was going to vote. Mm. And to be able to actually make my mind up there and, you know, once I was in there and I'd given it some real thought and actually researched it properly, whereas mm. I don't normally um, bother, just like Darren, really, I guess, I don't normally bother researching my vote. I just vote for how, because I know the answer, right? I'm right. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Out, of, yeah. out, of, out of the three of us here, two of us definitely are right. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You should try stand-up if the Coming back to, um, we haven't got much le longer left, but coming back to, you know, I do want to acknowledge that Active had an amazing election campaign. Mm. And it's really mind-blowing to think that a, a sort of a year and a half ago, people were talking about Acts being irrelevant mm. and, you know, questioning whether actually, and even National themselves were, mm. were questioning, it was no secret about whether they'd actually just kicked David out of Epsom because, mm. you know, he served his purpose and they needed to find someone else and, they were talking to, you know, that idiot about sustainable New Zealand, the kind of blue-green party and so mm. on. But, I mean, just the the way that ACT have managed, well, David, to be honest, David, for the, until very recently, just him, really, have mm. managed to capitalise on just a few sort of key things around freedom of speech, firearms, um, the end-of-life bill, of course, mm. things like that in a way that has actually just really galvanised and rebuilt mm. the party. Um, from a really, really low base. I mean, I can't remember what the total vote was for ACT in the last election, but it was, it wouldn't, it wasn't even enough outside of his electorate to deliver no, more than no, one no. other seat. Um, if if they you know, it couldn't have even delivered that other seat. So now you're looking at up to 11 MPs, you know. And do you think that, do you get the sense, because presumably you're participating in Zoom calls with your ACT colleagues and so on, and I appreciate you're new to the party, but... Um, you know, you, you're probably getting a bit of a sense from people. Is there that sense of, yeah, we're doing really well now. We're kind of on the crest of a wave. And actually, we've got some real strategies for kind of building on that. Yeah. And using the next parliament, irrespective of um, the makeup of it, 
using that next parliament to actually build on your success and seeing whether acts can actually because acts kind of the eight percent mark seems to be the historical kind of peak for act support but it, it doesn't always have to be like that right it could there's no reason why it can't continue growing mm. i think i think yeah like the big thing is that we've got good well thought out policies and um like like the the although i, I help write it so i'm slightly biased but i <laughs> um, but I think the small business policy is actually really good because we wrote it specifically with mum and dad businesses in mind and how do we get those businesses fired up. They're the ones that don't sleep at night on a Wednesday night when they're worried about how they're going to make payroll next day for their staff. Uh, we've tried, we've put in a lot of proposals there that I think are very good for small business. And by default, if it's good for small business, it means it's good for the people of New Zealand that work in a job uh, and it's about creating job security. So a lot of the policy we, policies that we've got are quite clever. If you think about uh, mental health, for example, um, it's very, very disjointed how, like if a person lives in Auckland and moves to Hamilton, there's actually no mechanism to control the flow of paperwork between one DHB and another. So, so you have a person who's unwell and they can fall off the grid so, like that so easily. So actually getting some cohesive strategy around that and getting it so it's centrally managed makes a lot of sense. And actually allowing the, the resources to follow the person rather than the person find the resources, that's clever and it's innovative. You know, for too long we've had infrastructure. Auckland's motorways have been on paper designed for best part of 60, 70 years. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Well, they only build motorways or build infrastructure when it's vote, vote buying time. And, they, and you look at this election, they're all pledging to do this and that and build this motorway or build that bridge or do this. And it's all on the never-never. And there's no overarching cohesive strategy. So actually getting uh, some sort of department or, or body that specifically looks at where's our best bang for infrastructure now and, and let's do that rather than what's going to buy us votes. And actually removing it from the politicians isn't, isn't that silly or an idea. Yeah. Matt, I know you disagree with me on, on the moratorium for um, the increases to um, minimum wage, but I think at this point in time, a moratorium is the only choice we've got simply because it's about actually having a job and actually allowing the businesses to survive. Uh, yeah, and so I think this that, is the simple problem. The lockdown. I don't want to argue with you during this because this is about you sending your party, but just so you know, I am going to edit in a bit afterwards where I'm just going to make the point about how the minimum wage doesn't cost jobs. <laughs> yeah, and that's fine. But the truth of the matter is, it's I'm, not really, I'm not really going to do that. <laughs> that's all right. Look, no. it doesn't matter what we do um, as, a, as a country. What matters is that as much as possible, we don't go into more debt. You know, we're talking already 15 years of deficits before we even start paying the money back. 
that's a real concern. And and there's no way the three of us can sit here and go, oh, the government is super efficient with our tax dollars. We know they're not. You know? So the best thing we can do is actually work on getting the government somewhat efficient. This was my concern with ongoing lockdowns and ongoing lockdowns is eventually the companies fall over. They stop paying company tax. Yeah. They stop employing people who stop paying income tax. Yeah. Eventually the money runs out. We're going to have to, um, you, two are agreeing, you two are agreeing too much right now, so I'm going to bring it to an end. Um, no, I want to ask a question, actually. I've got, I've got a question. I've got, I've got I've got a question. Got... Before you do, though, Darren, I've got a question <laughs> for you. Have you voted yet? No. Has, I Michael, has Michael influenced you to consider ACT? Look, I've made no secret, right? I am, out of the three out of the four things that we are voting for, I absolutely know exactly what I'm doing, and that is candidate vote that is cannabis, and that is end of life. I totally know what I'm going to vote in those. The one thing I've, I have struggled with myself, and it's more because of political strategy than it is because of my party choice. Or, look, uh, nobody, no national supporter is going to sit here and tell you that we have not had a chaotic year, right? We've been a, a shambles. And um, I feel sorry for ACT that have done such a magnificent job and had national have been like a bit more cohesive um, I don't think for one minute that Labour will, will stay in. The fact that people are still talking that it's close when National have been a shambles this year um, is quite a bit of a concern, I guess, probably for Labour. Um, but for, I have actually considered party voting act and candidate voting National. But I don't. I still don't know whether I'm doing more harm or good. I, I just don't know. Um, whether it's just my lack of understanding or well, I whether... I think it's worth saying that the reason it's close is because of the combined centre-right vote. And it's, you know, National have, are down another point in the polls while ACT are still, you know, maintaining a really, really, really good percentage. Yeah. So I don't want to advocate for ACT, but if I was a right, if I was on the centre-right, I'd be party voting ACT, I think. Oh, I'm pleased we've persuaded you. <laughs> um, this, this, this election, like Jacinda called it a COVID election, it's not. Uh, what this election is actually about is whether you want more government control and interference or whether you think that you as an individual can do a better job with your money than the government. That's actually what this election is about. It's not about COVID. COVID's a fact of life. We're likely to have it for another 18 months. Who knows? Um, it's about how we get out of the problem that we've got. And it's there. It's not going to go away. Could something like what happened in Australia last year where out of nowhere a party came to power when it was all like all but done, do you think this is all but done or do you think this actually is going to go to the wire on the night? I think, it is, I think it is going to go to the wire. I, I really do. Um like Matt, to be honest, Matt, you're the first Labour voter I've, I've met. Um, and you're actually quite well balanced, really. <laughs> <laughs> it's for the interest of the podcast. Inside, I'm seething. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's... um. Well, it's the same, right? So I, you're the first ACT voter I've actually met during this election campaign. So there's a real, there's a real issue, and it goes back to the freedom of speech and the stuff, the stuff that me and Darren touch on quite a lot, which is around the echo chamber in politics. And there isn't enough of talking to people from different backgrounds and different traditions, in our view. But I will say that I think where we all three of us agree, I think, is that, or where me and you agree, Michael, anyway, is that it will go down to the wire.
I think that we cannot underestimate the number of 14% undecided, undecided yeah. voters last week. I haven't seen what the latest figures are, but, you know, you can't, you can't also um, underestimate the impact that a junior coalition partner doing well has and the difficulty for the major party in a potential coalition when junior coalition partner is the greens <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are doing, you know who are capable of completely cocking it up and have yeah, done so yeah. multiple times and don't seem to have a decent campaign and have got these just stupid party vote green post um, holdings everywhere don't say anything else yeah. and even the color in them the color green they use isn't even their own color and yeah, it's it a vile color green it should be more pot colored yeah, it should. Um, you know, it's um, so I, I, I think it is all to play for, and I think that on the centre right side of things, it's not thanks to national. It is clearly thanks to um, a perfect storm that's benefited ACT. Some of which is down to David Seymour's leadership, and mm. certainly the bit of the minor party debate I watched this evening. Mm. No question, he was the winner mm. in, the, in the bits I saw. Like he was oh, look, the, good. The, the guy is smart. Um, look. The one thing that we, 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 we are all really lucky about is that um, uh, Donald Trump's not in politics down here. That's, that's a yeah. very big part plus. I mean, uh, you know, our politics is actually quite benign compared to what's going on in the States. Oh, there's no question, and even compared to that could otherwise be drawn into a kind of more destructive form of politics. And you might disagree with me on this, me characterising that as a right-wing form of politics. And it's maybe not. But the fact is the kind of free speech stuff, the gun stuff on your side of things. And then the kind of New Zealand first kind of immigrate stuff on immigration and things like that. The fact is both New Zealand first and act are, as you say, relatively benign parties um, as much as we may want to criticize them. And that feels it like makes me feel safer living here. Yeah. But, but it's, it's, it's funny, isn't it? You know, um, I always find it, it, it astounds me that um, the Green Party says that they would never work with National. Absolutely flabbergasted me because actually the difference between uh, National and the Labor is actually not that big a difference. Certainly not as extreme as it is in, say, the States. Um, you know, they are centralist parties and they, they try to sit right in the middle lane. If, 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 if you want to hold power here, it's about the people in the middle. Um, and then it's the little parties on the sides that, that pull, pull stuff slightly one way or the other. That's actually not a bad system. Yeah, there is one question we haven't asked Michael that we have asked the other two, and that is, oh, what's, the, yes. what's the funniest thing he's encountered whilst out campaigning? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, i got one for you. <laughs> my very first day and I decided I was going to do this and I went I was in um, Glenfield somewhere and I'm chatting to this guy and we were both bagging Jacinda it was not good and a Labour supporter it wasn't you Matt looks a bit like you uh, he came up and he threatened to rip my head off he was, was going to beat the crap out of me now um, I, I'm six foot one 115 kilos. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't have been me then. Yeah. <laughs> and, and one of my hobbies is boxing. <laughs> and this guy was just, he, he was so angry. And I'm standing there, I'm going, calm down, calm down, calm down. I'm a politician now. I can't react to this. That's right, yeah. <laughs> 
and that was that was my first introduction to politics. And I just I, I, I was just incredulous, you know. By all means, disagree, but you don't have to be horrible. So that's my funniest experience. Wow. Mm. It would be with the Labour Party, so that that makes sense. Well, it was just it was uncalled for, and and at the same time, it was hilarious. <laughs> growing men or a growing man, our, our age, you know, yeah, thirty-five, losing losing the plot. Dare I dare? Mm. On day one as well. What an introduction to politics that yeah. is. Oh, it's hilarious. Uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have been a paid-up member and you can't choose your voters, unfortunately. <laughs> so I'm not going to apologise for that. Anyway, Michael, um, you've been a great guest. Um, so mm. thank you very much for coming on and, and giving us some time during a really hectic campaigning season. Mm. Would you like to just um, share your uh, Facebook page and Twitter details and things like yeah. that where people can get hold yeah. of you? Uh, I'm, a, I'm Michael McCook, um, Act Party on Facebook. I don't have a Twitter account. Um, just Michael McCook, and you'll find me under Act. There's only two Michael McCooks. Yeah. And we'll follow up with you after the election as well. We'll just have a quick chat and just see uh, how you went and um, how it all played out. We're always keen yeah. to follow up with the guests after as well, but uh, we certainly appreciate your time. You've been very generous. and uh, Oh, yeah. it's an ab absolute pleasure. You know, I, I hope that you get 10 million viewers on this. It'll be great. I've got Excellent. my black sign at the back, and I've got my... I've actually... Um, <laughs> you do, sorry. I hate to break it to you, Michael, but this is audio. Oh, <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Sorry about that. I could uh, release it on video. <laughs> and, well, I, I, will, I, did, I did record the video, so I'll try and do a screenshot for the cover. Uh, it's all good. If, I, if I'd known it was, it was audio, just audio, I wouldn't have put on makeup. <laughs> <laughs> you, missed, you missed my filter at the beginning and that's probably for the best